At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Well, good morning. My name is Joel Tompkinson. I serve as one of the pastors here, and good morning to our friends online as well. I wonder if you could remember one of the greatest experiences of your life. Maybe it was summertime as a kid. Was there anything better than summertime as a kid? Maybe it was your honeymoon or a significant trip that you took. Maybe it was meeting your grandchild for the first time. I don't think it's uh, difficult to think about some of those mountaintop experiences, is it? The, the ones that stir our, our hearts and our affections, our souls. Nor is it difficult to remember some of the challenging times that we face. One of those was spring 2018, two years ago. And it began with a conversation from my, with my boss that my employment was ending, as was the uh, consulting group that I was part of, that particular division. So I had a little bit of a advanced notice, a little runway, but it led to me experiencing my first period of unemployment professional, in my professional life. As summer turned into, spring turned into summer, um, in one of those phone calls you don't want to have, uh, my mom shared with me about a biopsy that she was to have, which subsequently led to the discovery of uh, three cancers, which would be her fifth go-around in 30-something years of battling cancer. And shortly after that, um, it was, yeah, it was that summer that my sister's family experienced pretty significant flood damage to their home, and that just added to the collective stress that we were all feeling with one walking through difficulty with their home, one walking through difficulty with their health, and um, my employment search, which praise God for a conversation with Pastor Barrett two years ago, which led to me stepping into his role here at Woodside. So thanks, Bear. Um, one of the good providences of the Lord in that season was that he gave us a song. And that song is the one we began our gathering with this morning, Yes, I Will. And Yes, I Will was put out by a band called Vertical Worship that spring, and it just communicated things in my heart, this dependence upon the Lord and uh, this, this trust in Him and that He was a good God. And it, I listened to it on repeat, as sometimes you do. I put it on repeat for weeks and just let it marinate in my soul. And it was not long before on a FaceTime call with my parents that they said, we have to play for you this song that the Lord gave us. And Yes, I Will became kind of the anthem, the prayer of our souls during that season. Well, this year, 2020, has been another one of those challenging seasons. So much unrest so much unrest in politics, in employment, in finances, in education, just about every area of our society, including spiritually. This surreal reality that we've been living in is really unprecedented in our lifetimes. And it, it does spill over into kind of what we're doing here this morning, this gathering as a church. People are asking, What's it really for? Do I need it? I think um, trials inspire 
reflection and they cause us to feel a bit of tension and we begin to ask questions, at least I do, and the people are asking, do I want to put together all the pieces that this season has ripped apart? And as it relates to church, there are people who are asking, is it needed? Do I really need to gather together? Is that just something that was on my plate before that I did? Is the gospel, is, is the spiritual family, is Jesus, it doesn't matter. And I don't know where you are on that spectrum. I don't know if, that's, if any of those questions are things that you are struggling with this morning. But I do believe that those questions are God-ordained opportunities for us to just reflect, reflect and respond based on what we read in his word. You see, throughout history, when the church gathers, despite everything that's happening around them and sometimes to them, when they gather and they lift their voices in praise and worship, something happens. Something happens. God's spirit begins to move. There is a sense of spirit power that's given to them. And honestly, the message of the gospel and the truth and the reality of who God is becomes so much more meaningful and tangible. It becomes personal to them. So how important is it for us to worship God together? Well, John 4 tells us that we are to worship in spirit and in truth, so it's a must. There is an expectation, if we're going to see in the psalm, that every season and in every day we are to praise the Lord. And I don't think we should underestimate the importance of actually worshiping and lifting our voices together. It's not just to fill time. We don't just put two or three, four songs in on a Sunday morning to fill time so that we fill up our 65 minutes. No, it's actually such a beautiful opportunity for us to gather in collective worship to remember and rehearse the truths of God and to see how the gospel goes forth. Don't minimize the gathering. Don't minimize the singing, even if you don't like your singing voice. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews reminds us that we should gather so that we might be encouraged to hold fast our confession of hope, the gospel, without wavering and so to stir one another up to love and good works. If your life has been changed by Jesus, if you've tasted the goodness of his grace, the freedom of forgiveness, the hope of heaven, the joy of justification, the security of his salvation, then praise him in every season, every day. But let's just have a little real talk this morning. Is your soul bursting with praise? Is your soul just bursting with, oh man, I can't do anything but sing? Or do you find that some of the anxiety and the frustration and the difficulty of this season is winning the day in your heart? Well, those are real tensions that we feel. We certainly don't want to praise God only when things look good, when we see tangible blessings and when our life is free of difficulty. And that's one of the reasons I love Psalm 145, because David, as we continue in our assembly required series looking at the ancient hymn book of Israel, David is going to be reminding us uh, of some truths of the Lord as we remember and we rehearse. And so Psalm 145 is one of the last psalms written by David. He wrote it as an acrostic in the Hebrew alphabet. And so if you recall that this was meant to be sung corporately, he likely was using this alphabet, alphabetical um, approach to help Israel to remember what comes next. We all know how, how jingles get stuck in our minds and some of the tricks for remembering things. And so 
uh, that this was likely one of the ways that he was helping the nation as they sang together. You can also see, as we jump into this, David used is quite a number of words to describe this concept of praise. Even as you just scan through, in verse 1, he uses extol and bless. Verse 2, he uses praise. Verse 4 adds both commend and declare. He goes on to include meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud, give thanks. The note in my study Bible, I love, I love just the message that it communicates here. David has exploited all the vocabulary he can muster to describe God's great activity, his greatness, and his goodness. Finally, there's one theme in this psalm that David is trying to impress upon God's people. Just praise, pure praise. He's not asking for anything. He's not confessing anything as we heard last week. It's just an opportunity for him to reflect on God and respond with praise. So as we jump in, there are three things that David's going to help us to understand. What happens when we praise God? Why? Is God to be praised in every season? And how ought we to worship God? So what happens when we praise God? He begins by listing some attributes of God at the very beginning. Look out, uh, look at uh, verse 1. His kingship, his greatness in verse 3. If you jump down into verses 8 and 9, it's his grace, his compassion, his goodness. Verse 11 talks about his glory and his power. Verse 17, his righteousness and his kindness. Verse 20, at the very end, his providential care. I think David is ordering his heart and his mind, and and ours as well as we read this, to begin with the recognition of who God is. And so as he and the nation would sing this corporately together, they were remembering and rehearsing the truth of who they knew Jehovah to be. And if you're anything like me, especially on a Sunday morning, you need those reminders who he is to remember and rehearse despite everything that's happened in the week, all the the messages that sometimes we allow to seep into our brain, we need the opportunity regularly to remember and rehearse truths of God who loves and sustains us. You see, worship centers our focus. When we put our attention on the Lord, which is where it should be, our focus is, excuse me, our hearts are just overwhelmed at the kind of God that he is. When we think about his faithfulness and his goodness, his provision, Worship also gives us perspective. The bigness, the goodness, the faithfulness of God puts everything else into perspective, including just the, the tension, the unrest that we're feeling in this moment. It fills us with a lot less angst when we have perspective looking at the one whose kingdom, verse 13 says, kingdom will never end. Worship also gives us hope. David unfolds a number of ways that the Lord supplies for and satisfies his people, which then they just roll that up in in praise and they are filled with gratitude. Anybody else awakened around 535 this morning, depending on where you live, by like huge peals of thunder? Yeah, me and my kids too. Uh, It reminds me that that type of impressive display of of nature's power reminds me of the first few days of my freshman year at the faith-based university I attended down in Dayton, Ohio. We started the academic year every year with a Bible conference. And one of the evenings, that uh, Bible conference was interrupted with a tornado warning. Ripping through the Xenia, which is kind of outside of Dayton, Ohio area, was a deadly F4 tornado that wreaked a lot of havoc and carnage. And we were given very brief but direct, quick instructions to evacuate 
this huge auditorium that we were sitting in. And so we split up in groups and we went into corridors and hallways and classrooms that were cinder block, you know, a little bit better of a tornado shelter than a huge auditorium. And after the imminent danger had passed, we were invited to come back into the auditorium and the pastor who was speaking that week was going to continue. And it was not long before the lights went out. The power just went out. And our ner- nerves were already frayed, you know, by the, the tornado warning, what was happening outside, the unknown, the uncertainty. And so we're sitting there in silent shock. And I vividly remember someone, somewhere, began singing a cappella, a hymn or a chorus. And then without amplification, without, without instrumentation, all of a sudden, 2,500, 2,600 voices were just lifted up in praise to our God. Because you want to know what happens when we praise God. It overflows. It is contagious. Our minds are centered, remember? We're centered. We're focused on the Lord and who He is And we have perspective because he's been around and he is good and faithful and he controls nature. Not that nothing bad ever happens to us, but we have a certain perspective that fills us with hope. And that's what happened from one person to not quite 3,000 people. We saw the work of God in our lives that evening and it just was contagious and it spread. We see the same thing in Acts 16. As a reminder, Paul and Silas Uh, were in prison. They had healed an oppressed little girl and an angry mob came and ripped their clothes off and they beat them, they tortured them and they ended up in prison. They were simply doing, following in the ways of Jesus, doing what, what he had commissioned them to do. And look how it turned out for them. And I wonder if our perspective would be the same as theirs. Let me just read a little bit from Acts 16. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Seriously? They were singing. They were in prison. But they saw it as an opportunity for their witness to be worship. Their circumstances, the the pain that they were in, the fear, the unknown, didn't change their attitude and instead they had praise on their lips because their worship was focused and it gave them perspective and it gave them hope. And look what happened. Look what the Lord did. Verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking, shaken. The doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfashioned. The jailer called for lights. He rushes in. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they shared the gospel with him. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And he went on to share the gospel with the, the jailer's household. God used their praise, and God uses our praise to advance his plan. His power is at work. And he invites us into what he's doing when we praise. But it's interesting. We have to align our hearts to his word. We have to align our hearts to what he's up to, to be able to hear and sense what the Spirit is doing. And so I don't know the circumstances that you carry with you today. Maybe, maybe your perspective is based on the chaos of this moment on the destruction, the conspiracies, the arguments, the fear, the, the uncertainty. If we would only worship God together, if we would set our focus, our perspective, and our hope on the Lord and who he is, I honestly believe that that is what we need more than anything. That's what the church can rise up to do in this season. 
is for God to respond to our worship in Him and move with power as He did in Acts 16 for a watching world. Psalm 145 also helps us to understand why God is to be praised. So we praise God in every season, we praise God every day because we recognize who He is. So let's look at some of the ways David, from the very beginning of the chapter, he works through a whole bunch of descriptions of the Lord. So starting in verse 1, our God is personal. David says he is my God. We know his name. Our God is king, and he's just not any king. Not just a lowercase king. He's a capital K king, and his kingdom, his dominion will never end. It'll never cease. Verse 3 says our God is great. No one and nothing can compare to him. Our God is unsearchable. We can't fathom the magnitude of who he is. Verse 4 says our God is active. He's at work. And stories of his power have been told since the beginning of time. Praise God that we have it written in his word. Verse 5, our God is glorious. Jump down two verses. Our God is good. He is righteous. Verse 8, David writes that our God is gracious. He is merciful. He is full of love. Verse 11, our God reigns. Verse 13, our God is everlasting. Verse 14, our God is faithful. He lifts up the broken. He upholds the humble. Verse 15, our God supplies. Verse 16, our God is generous and he satisfies. Verse 17, our God is kind. Verse 18, our God is near and he is all-knowing. He is omniscient. Verse 19, our God is listening and he saves. Verse 20, our God is a protector. He does what's right. He is just. And because of who my God is, David writes in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. If you were to make your own list, if you were to start each sentence with my God is, I wonder what would your lyric be? What, would it sound at all like this? Well, it all depends on who he is to you. Who is God to you? And I want to think about who God the Father is through the the life, the work, the ministry of God the Son through Jesus. Because Jesus trusted his Father with every moment of his life. In every wilderness experience, in every miracle, in every sermon, in every storm that he encountered, in every interaction with people who were certainly opposed to who he was, in every step that he took walking toward Jerusalem, ultimately taking up his cross, And certainly he trusted him with his last breath. Jesus was the epitome of the one who in every season and in every day praised his heavenly father. But that's because he had a relationship. He knew who his father was. And now David wrote this divinely inspired, glorious list of attributes to God. But he failed miserably at moments of his life. Anybody else have a story like that? I do. David trusted upon the Lord for his salvation. He rightly saw that that God was the only way that he would be saved, and that's our story too. The truth of the gospel, the good news, is that when we call on the name of Jesus Christ, when we call him our Lord, we call him our Savior because of the power of his death and what it accomplished as we celebrated in communion moments ago, It renews our relationship with God, and we can actually call him Father. Amen. And other names don't do. Other lowercase gods cannot, they will not save. And it's only 
Jesus who could reconnect us back to the Father because he put on flesh. He walked among us. He lived the life that was sinless, that was perfect, and he died as the willing substitute for us. It's only God who knows how to put all these broken fragments, these broken pieces of our lives back together because he created the puzzle in the first place. So do you know him by name because you've been restored to his family through Jesus? Is there anybody else, is there anything else that is worthy of your praise? If you've been saved by Jesus, if you've chosen to follow him as a disciple, then we have a distinct privilege, we have an opportunity to let our praise reflect the praise of heaven, to bear witness. And I love the picture in Revelation 5 of what the praise looks like in heaven. Read with me. The Apostle John writes, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's within them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is a passionate worship experience. And David, too, was a passionate worshiper. In fact, at one point, he offended his own wife because he didn't care about what his praise and worship looked like. He didn't care if it made him look like a fool or the other people around him. And God blessed him for that. And so this song, David's life, of writing all these hymns, this song in particular helps us to understand, second, uh, thirdly, how do we praise God? And so he lists two ways here, blessing and meditation. In verse 1, he says, My, uh, or I will bless the, God's name forever and ever. Verse 2 says the same thing. Every day I will bless your name forever and ever. So the Old Testament picture of blessing is usually from a father to a son. It's, it's the picture of a son maybe kneeling before the father as the father pours out gifts and praise upon him. And it's no wonder then, as you read throughout the New Testament, it talks about this blessing of the Father, God the Father, through the Son for us, for those of us who are part of his family. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what we see is we actually bless God because we have received his blessing. I didn't realize until later in life that I could actually bless God. I always thought it was just the other way, that, that he is the one who pours out blessing upon me. But I now see that it's through my praise, it's through my worship, it's through our acknowledgement of who he is, my energy, my effort, my time, my money, my thanksgiving, that I bless him and worship him. And remember what Romans 12 talked about, this fragrant offering to God. So we praise God by blessing his name. We also praise him through meditation. Look at what verse 5 says. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. So it means we ruminate, we ponder, we contemplate, we reflect. If you're a coffee person, we percolate on it. When I was in high school, my student ministry pastor would lead an annual wilderness experience every summer up to Algonquin Provincial Park, about three and a half hours northeast of Ontario. 
And on one of those years, I had the opportunity, I also had the challenge of going. Uh, and there were about 20 students and, and leaders, including my dad and sister, got to be on the same trip. And if, by the way, if you want to see what family dynamics actually plays out, when you and your sister capsize a canoe and, and you explode in front of all those people, <laughs> the real you comes out. But that was, that was a grueling and exhausting week as we, as we uh, canoed and we hiked, carried our gear about 100 miles. But it was stunning. It was just stunning and beautiful and an experience I'll never forget. And in particular, midweek, if I recall, uh, it was called Solo Day. And it was a period of about six or seven hours that we spent in solitude and silence. So I was dropped off uh, one part of the lake. And so picture with me this serene, beautiful lake out in the middle of nowhere. And these big rocks and boulders on the, on the lake's edge and the water is lapping up against them. And these massive pine trees all around me. It's just this beautiful picture of nature. And it's silent, except for the sounds of nature. It was just silent. And as best as I knew how in my earnest adolescence and following Jesus, I spent the day journaling and reading scripture and praying and quietly worshiping and praising and resting and reveling in who the Lord was and how he had carried me thus far because there's only one way out of it and two, death or keep going, keep, keep paddling, keep marching. And so when, when we got back after the solo day, we got back around the campfire and we led one another in worship. Yes, through song and choruses around the campfire, but we also just shared the goodness and the praise of the Lord together. And we reminded each other the truth of who he was and how he had come through for us and praised him for his creation. Well, David teaches us about this idea of overflowing praise. In verse 11, he says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. So what do we do with that? We tell the next generation. We tell kids. We tell grandkids. We tell the people around us how God came through for us. Not just about the mountaintop experiences, but also the valleys, how he was there for us in the valleys. We tell him of his faithfulness in 2020 amid the COVID craziness. We tell him about, tell them about the stories of God's presence and provision in our lives and those who have gone before us. And notice what happens when we do this. David closes in verse 21 by saying, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. But do you remember how he started it? He started the song with, I will extol you, my God. And he ends by saying, let all flesh. So this journey of praise and worship moves from individual, I, to communal, all. From everyone to everything. I love that. When our lives are lived in worship, others will see and hear and begin singing themselves you are likely not surprised to know that I'm musical. My mom says that I would sing before I spoke. And I have an early memory of uh, singing a duet with my dad. And I was nervous as a little tyke because everyone was looking at me like you are all now. And I didn't like that. And so when I got up there, 
I faced the back wall. And I, they set up a mic and I sang to the back wall as my dad held me. It must run in the family. My kids sing all the time. Within the past several weeks, Jack, who is now three as of last week, uh, he'll start singing the chorus of Promises, which we introduced at the, at the end of uh, June. Great is your faithfulness to me. So sweet just to hear him in his little, little voice singing that. Audrey sings too all the time because she hears her mom and her dad singing as well. And what we talk about, what we sing about, it's, it's the opportunity to pass on to the next generation. Because whether or not you're musical, whether or not you like the sound of your voice, there is always an expectation of God's people to tell one another about the Lord and his faithfulness. In fact, uh, Scripture talks a lot about the congregational singing, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And Ephesians 5 says that one of the marks of people who are truly filled with God's Spirit is a desire to sing together, to sing to one another. So, it doesn't just have to mean singing, but it does mean that we're continually telling. We're continually remembering and rehearsing the truths of God and who he is and what he's done. And when I want to compliment Allie, I don't just have to burst into a song like I'm on Broadway or in a, a Disney movie, although she does, she was at the first service, she does appreciate the quirky songs that I sing for her all the time with, with rolled eyes. But I, I say things to her. I don't always sing them. I say to her, honey, this is great. You're so great. And thank you so much. And David is reminding us the same thing in the psalm because he uses words like speaking, telling, making known. So not just song only. Even this morning as we remembered communion together, we didn't sing like we normally do. That was on purpose. We just worshiped God through his word and through truth. And as God's adopted children, as ones who have been brought into the family because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we've experienced his grace, his forgiveness, his joy, his peace, his hope, his perspective, because of who he is and what he's done, that we remember every season, every day, God is to be praised. I know each of us, if we were asked, could come up with a long list of some tough stuff that we experience right now. That's real. Frustration, anxiety, difficulty, that's real. But in light of Psalm 145, I wonder if we flipped the script just, just for a moment here this morning. We're still here. Praise God. Some of you are online. Praise God for you too. Praise God that we are breathing Praise God that we know his name. We know his son. Praise God. We have our names written in the book of life. A new name written down in glory. Amen. We have already been saved. We are not alone. We have the blessing. We have the benefit of spiritual family. We also have the blessing and the benefit of God's presence, his Holy Spirit with us. Praise God. We're recipients of grace. We've been adopted into his family. We've been made heirs. We have everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need. We have a mission. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Man, he's good. Praise God for that. I need to hear this. Maybe you need to hear this as well. Maybe 
Maybe that's the blessing of the gathering together, spiritual family, to remind ourselves of this often. You know, it has certainly been different and difficult these last number of months. I wonder, as you sat there watching online church, if you joined us online or even this morning, do you stare at the TV and just watch your computer screen? Or you, do you join in and sing along? When the room is a little bit more sparse than it normally is on a Sunday morning, do you just sing kind of quietly because it's awkward and you may not like your voice and you don't want to stick out? Well, let me encourage you to apply what David has said. Sing to the king. He is worthy. He is worth it. Begin just with a song of praise and thanks to him. Don't miss out on the opportunity to lead one another in worship and remember and rehearse the truths. I close with a beautiful and apt quote I read this past week from Paul David Tripp. He writes, the regular gathering of God's people for worship serves to shift your meditation from complaint to gratitude by reminding you of who you really are and confronting you with the beautiful and faithful mercy of God towards you. As the gospel puts you in your place, it also puts praise in your mouth. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever. And Father, that's what we want to do now. Out of the overflow of what you've done, of who you are, our mouths will sing. We will lift up in praise, even in the midst of difficulty, of uncertainty, of anxiety, of angst, of disappointment. We know you're worthy. We are recipients of your good, kind grace through Jesus. And we have your spirit who invites us now in this moment in your presence to lift you up as we read from Revelation. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. And we lift this all up in his strong name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.